You're listening to the Thousand Hills Podcast. In today's message, we're going to talk all about how Christians are to approach dating according to the Bible. Which leads us to this point, which is point number two. We need to realize that dating will lead to self-sacrificial action. Dating cannot be selfish and Christian at the same time. Christian dating demands sacrificial living, and I'll explain why. Not only should we not be making someone else responsible for holding our life together, which is, again, entirely too much for somebody, but we also need to understand that neither marriage nor dating are, again, supposed to be selfish acts. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4 tells us this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. This is a very profound thing in a relationship, isn't it? We should not be looking selfishly and becoming bitter if things don't work out. We need to realize that if we marry this other person, we are committing ourselves to serving them. We should not be treating our relationship like shopping on a car lot. We should not be walking by and looking at that Lamborghini and going, oh, I really want that, without looking also at the price tag, right? If you've ever gone to a car lot, a lot of times they really don't advertise that price real well. Or if you watch a car commercial, they go, yeah, it only costs $29,995. And then the bottom fine print says like manual, no speakers, windows optional. They sell you a base model of what you're actually looking for, Right? We cannot begin a relationship thinking, I really want this thing, and not also considering the price that's going to come with it in our lives. When marriage comes around, we will be held to a very specific standard. So as we're dating, we have to keep that in mind. We should not be dating thinking, I want that person's attention and affection. I want that person's whatever, without also realizing that we need to have enough to give back to that person, that we are called to serve that person, and that if our lives are far too busy to really make the time to give that person what they need, then no matter what we want, we need to refrain. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I'm going to pause. Can we go right back to that? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is speaking to a married couple. Do you guys notice something? The word submit there. Now, the church talks about submission, but usually it's in a direction of us to God or who to who in a marriage. Wives to husbands, right? So what is this portion of scripture saying? Is it saying wives submit to your husband? No. It says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what does that mean? Ladies, I hope you're paying attention. It means that in a marriage, submission in some ways must be mutual. I must submit myself, not to the leading of my wife, since that is my role as a husband, to lead my household. But I need to submit myself to the needs of my wife. I cannot leave her at home, abandoned while I do what I want, and think that I'm meeting the call that Christ has put on my life as a husband. And wives, yes, you must submit yourselves to the need of your husband and to his leading. And we're going to continue on to look at this. The standard for marriage, though, is insanely high. We need to keep that in mind. Next verse says this. Wives, submit yourselves. This is the one that we know. To your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. 
his body, of which he is the Savior. Verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wise, you should submit, be submitting, I'm sorry, uh, to their husbands and everything. Verse 25. Oh, actually, we'll stop at verse 24. So th- there's the mandate, ladies. There's the mandate. Here's my encouragement to you. When you are dating, ask yourself this question daily. Will I ever willingly submit to this man? <laughs> Will I ever willingly submit to his leadership? Will I ever obey the command of Christ to say, okay, I'm going to listen to what he has to say and try to follow in his decision-making. Offering good suggestions, not silently. Any husband who is worth their salt will listen to the wisdom of their wife, realizing that they did not marry someone they considered foolish or without insight, but rather they invested in a relationship with somebody who is equally yoked, hopefully in wisdom, biblical acumen, and street-smart intelligence, right? Hopefully you married someone who is your equal and your fit partner. So if you have husbands, listen to your wives. Don't get all machismo. Speaking as a Latino individual, don't puff out your chest. I'm the husband. We're going to do as I say. The Bible says it. You foolish man. God will bless her for following you and will give you the brunt of all the punishments as you continue to be disastrous in leadership. But ladies, back to what we were saying. Ask yourselves, can I picture following this person If they have no wisdom, get out of there. I don't care how cute they are. I don't care if they play the guitar. Get out. Because that's going to be the price you pay. And to be frank, at a certain point in a dating relationship, there's almost no coming back. I've watched it happen. Both individuals can be very aware of the fact that this is not going to go great. But at some point, you've invested so much that human heart's going to have a hard time pulling away from that. And a lot of marriages end up having really rocky starts because they did not count the cost before they entered into that marriage, into that union. Now, as harsh and costly as this seems, the next portion's even worse because it now goes to the husbands. Verse 25 says this, Husbands, love your wives. That seems basic. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. No longer basic. To make her holy, cleansing her. By the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, I'm sorry, any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Let's continue on. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body. But they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about the Christ. I'm sorry, I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Gentlemen, all Christians are called to be Christ-like. However, not every Christian is called to love their spouse as Christ loved the church. That's a pretty high standard. It's a really hard bar to clear. When we realize that the church gives Christ so little and demands so much, 
When we look at the church today, we have to realize that we carry a proud tradition all the way from the Israelites of being whining, complaining, cheating, lying, terribly inconvenient members of this relationship. As Christ loves us, we don't give evenly the same amount of love back to him. As Christ gives us what we need, we oftentimes do not obey what he's told us to do. As Christ makes a path for us to deliverance, too often we deny it and jump head over heels into temptation into our own sadness, destruction, consequences. And yet, does that change the way Jesus loves us? No. No, it doesn't. Meaning that our wives are a heck of a lot better to us than we are often to Christ. They're a heck of a lot more responsible about their relationship to us than we are to Christ. They're a heck of a lot more respectful, respectable, loving, kind, etc. than we are in our relationship to Christ. And yet, we have a problem as gentlemen. We can oftentimes feel that we are not being given enough and we are having too much demanded from us. That is never the case. We are called to love our wives unconditionally. We are called to love our wives holistically, completely, entirely, deeply, unmovingly. Gentlemen, we have the issue of having such a good example that we are left without excuse. And this is when we start to see the cost of a relationship and a marriage. None of this is supposed to serve as a worrying thing. None of this is supposed to serve as a, this is why you don't get married. These are supposed to serve, though, to show the reverence that we enter marriage with. The reverence that we are called to show to one another and the depth of our commitment. So as we enter into dating, if we're entering in with a selfishness, well, guess what? We're already failing. We're already setting ourselves up to be doomed because God never promised that marriage is supposed to fulfill our selfish desires, but he did command us to give without reserve to the other. Do not think that you are simply selecting a travel buddy for life. You're selecting the person, you're committing yourself to serving, loving, and honoring. And this comes with one more really big fact about dating, which is our third point. Dating must complement both people's callings. I'll say that again. Dating should be as a complementary aspect of our lives to both people's callings, or it will not work out. Not well. Richie, you're single. You should be awake right now. Romans 12 verse 4 says this, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these functions do not all have the same function, it goes on to say, so we are all part of one body, the body of Christ, right? This to mean that in the body of Christ, in the church, Christians are meant to serve different purposes. We have different callings. Some of us are to be missionaries, some of us are to be pastors, evangelists, worship leaders, children's ministry directors. Some of us are called to work a nine to five to the glory of God. 
to be faithful tithers, to be institutions and, and, and figures in our surrounding community, and to use our influence to leverage others getting to know Christ. Some of us are called here to Klamath Falls, Oregon. Some of us are called to Reading. Some of us are called to completely different parts of the world or maybe have been in completely different parts of the world and are now here as we continue our journey. It's not wrong for us to live in different places, to have different callings, to serve different people groups, or to have our ministries look different. But there has to be an acknowledgement of that when we enter into a relationship. Do not make your only requirement for finding a husband or wife compatibility on topics like movies, restaurants, or past experiences, as tempting as it is. If you were dating someone, as an example, who said their dream was to buy a house and become a foster parent to 14 dogs at a time, what would your reaction be? <laughs> Big dogs, too. Not saying Chihuahuas. I'm saying St. Bernard's, Golden Retrievers, Rottweilers. Maybe all pit bulls all at once. And these are foster dogs who are coming out of tough environments. They're going to require a lot of time and attention. They're not the snuggling in your bed type. They're the don't eat the cat type of dog. How would you feel if that person said, my dream is to have 14 foster dogs at a time for the rest of my life live with us? That'd be pretty shocking, right? That might take you aback. What if you were going to marry someone who said that they're going to be a long distance truck driver? That is their dream. And they're going to be gone four months a year. What would your reaction be to that? Would that change anything for you? Maybe, maybe not, right? If your lifestyles weren't compatible, guess what? It may not work out great. You will either A, steal away the person's, the opposite person's dream so that they fit into your life. No foster doggies. Or you will sacrifice a critical part of your life to make it work, but you might be miserable. Now, this isn't even as bad as it would be not to consider a person's calling. Why? Because maybe you end up loving those 14 foster doggies. Maybe you say, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to be your trucking partner. We're going to travel around the country for four months a year. That option exists. And maybe you find fulfillment in it. In an unlikely way, you're just like, you know what? This is the life. Sitting in a truck all the time or constantly being in dog piles. Maybe that is the life for you. But guess what? If God has a calling on your life, then this isn't simply just a matter of readjusting your expectations for your life. It is now a question of whether or not you will obey or sacrifice what God has told you to do at the altar of this relationship. See, a calling on our lives, guys, is not something that we can just take or leave. It's not something that's just selfish. It's obedience to what Christ has given us to do. If we were to say, no, I'm not going to leave this place because my friends are here. We're not going to move to so-and-so place or go to take a trip to so-and-so because I'm comfortable here. We will miss out on something God had us to do, right? Or if I was to say, because for those of you who don't know, I'm from Los Angeles. If I was to say, no, God, I'm more comfortable in SoCal, sun, beaches. I don't want anything to do with those hunters and all the trees and the mountain lion that was on Homedale last, you know, last night. I don't want to deal with the winter snow. I don't know how to drive in rain, let alone snow. I'm just going to stay here, God, but thanks. I would be disobeying what God asked me to do. I would be saying, 
that's a great suggestion, God. But I have the final call, and I'm going to do what I will. I'm going to do what I please to do. But thanks. Keep blessing me. That's not how it works. Your first calling, in fact, as a husband or wife, is to support the calling placed by God on your spouse's life. So when you're dating, the question that must be asked in our hearts has to be, are our callings compatible? Can I, as a person, both obey God and support my spouse's calling? Can I continue in my calling and support them in theirs? Ellie, my wife, had a calling of being a nurse while we were dating. She left the state that we lived in, California, to study at a college in Iowa. Very inconvenient. She came back, graduated, and got hired by the largest medical company in SoCal to work at their busiest hospital. She's very intelligent. She's awesome. My role in supporting her changed throughout the seasons, but while she was in college, it was to encourage her via long-distance communication. At the school that she went to, they were very um, combative towards faith. So when they found out that she was a Christian, she got attacked routinely, and her faith got challenged routinely by the education force as well as other students that were there. And what she needed is she was separated from everyone she knew more than anything was someone to continue saying, no, what you're saying is true. The scriptures that you're quoting are right. Don't give an inch. Continue to serve Christ. And then she moved back. And my role changed. If you guys know my wife, you know that she's a very um, kind, quiet, and sweet person. Which means that when she goes to pursue a job, she's very nervous. And she is very certain that she's not going to get the position. And she is overthinking for days the fact that she's not a very good interview in her own mind. And that she's probably going to totally mess up the whole situation. So my role at that time was to say, if this is God's will, he'll open a door. Continue on. You look great. Do you need to eat breakfast before you go? I'll be waiting outside praying for you. And encourage her to be bold to take those steps to continue in her calling. Then when she got the job, my role changed again. We got married. And she worked very long hours starting at 7 a.m., I believe. So my role was to be her chauffeur in the morning, drop her off so she didn't have to worry about parking, go home because I worked evenings and be a bit of a housewife. It was glorious. We had a cat. I loved every moment of it. I was not the best at it, mind you, but I tried really hard. Toilets were dirty sometimes. <laughs> but I tried to support the fact that she was working really hard and that she was in her calling and she was ministering and she was talking to her coworkers about Jesus and she was setting an example of what Christianity looks like. So whatever I had to do at that point, it was my duty to do it. Her job was merciless, routinely asking her not only to work Monday through Friday, but Saturdays and Sundays too sometimes. She said no to Sundays just about every time because church, Christianity came first for her. God bless her. But oftentimes she would cave on the Saturdays because her boss would pressure her. And being the sweet, kind person she was, she wanted to be helpful. So I would work my whole week and then on Saturday have to get up, drive her over, 
and figure out how to survive a day in an apartment in a different city than I grew up in with no one around. And I'm so social that that was a huge struggle. But my calling was not to say, honey, come home, no, please. It was to support her, not guilt her, right? And it doesn't mean that I can't let my needs be known, but at the same time, when there was no wiggle room or where she felt like she had to or she was being called to, my duty was to support her. And I did to the best of my ability. On the flip side, when we met, I had a calling to be a pastor and particularly in worship ministries. And as we met, I was stepping into the first ever role of leading a worship ministry. And she supported me over a distance, listening to my problems, listening to me whine about, oh, the drummer didn't show up. He was 25 minutes late. She's like, that's so terrible. Really wasn't, but whatever. And then when we got married, um, she was willing to put up with the fact that I was working two jobs and doing ministry voluntarily to continue building up my ability and understanding, right? And so she would have to put up with my schedule, which was um, worship practices on Tuesday nights, worship leading on Wednesday nights, worship leading on Sunday mornings, worship leading on Sunday nights, teaching on adults Bible study on Friday nights, and sometimes helping out with other miscellaneous things, as well as my shifts that would work sometimes from 8 a.m. till 1 in the morning the next day. And she had to put up with that leading up to marriage. And then when we got married, I quit one of the jobs. But I still worked evenings. I still worked full-time. And it was on a completely flipped schedule from her. So guess what? On those weeks where she did work Saturdays, and I was over there bawling my eyes out with my cat, watching soapy stuff on the TV, she would get home exhausted, knowing that in the morning, she would have to wake up early to go help lead worship at church the next day because she volunteered to help the worship ministry to help me have solid team members that I could count on. What a giving soul. What a level of commitment she had in supporting my calling. And then when we moved up here, she quit her job. She prayed about it and said, I feel like this is how I'm supposed to support you. She quit her job, very well-paying job. She made more then than I make now, handily. She's made more money than I have probably my entire professional career because she's highly educated, really good at her job, and just phenomenal in what she does. And yet she said, you know what? If God is calling you to Oregon, and I agree, he is calling us to Oregon, um, I'll set that aside. And we moved up here. And we moved up here for like $15,000 a year before tax. Nothing. And she knew that if she moved up here, she'd have to educate herself for another year to pass the standard that is needed to be a nurse here in Oregon. But during that time period, she felt as though her calling shifted. She felt called to be a housewife, a homemaker, and a mother. <laughs> Financially very inconvenient. <laughs> but we made it work. And I took on the burden of being the breadwinner now because she was beforehand. There's nothing that crushes a man's pride more than that. I'll let you know, gentlemen. Um, but if you're wise, take the blessings that God has given you and be secure enough in your identity and value with Christ that you don't need to have that, right? But when we did move up here, I had to then expand my ability. I took on another job. I worked a little extra hard. She was really frugal. We supported each other's calling. And now, thank God, I've gone from like quarter time to full time at this church. We make enough to survive. We have two little boys, and she's got a full-time job at home. And she also works as an after-school tutor because she felt like that was part of what God had placed on her heart. 
And during that time, it was never easy, never convenient to support each other's callings. And yet, I can promise you guys something. God never failed to bless us for honoring the fact that he was using both of us, both as individuals and as a couple. God never didn't give us what we needed. God never set himself as a dividing point in our relationship, but rather he set himself as a standard and a reminder of the fact that everything was going to be okay and that he had called us to one another and blessed our marriage. And for that reason, we could take on anything. Life has been full of shifts in what God has asked us to do. But it has been full of goodness from him as well. So when we look at dating, we need to recognize that dating in Christianity is a far different thing than dating in movies or dating in the world. Dating in Christianity is not about the rules. Those are important too. But it is about maintaining your first relationship with Christ and allowing that to inform you about your relationship with this other person. About allowing Christ to be the glue between you, not just common interests, or quirky, relatable stories, favorite TikTok artists or something. And in a Christian relationship, there needs to be an understanding of where this is leading, not just nearsighted how much fun is this right now. So to close, here's my encouragement. As some of us are dating, as some of us are moving towards dating, maybe some of us aren't even called to marriage, and that's fine at least have a proper understanding of what this means for the sake of those around you. And for those of us who are dating, continue to grow in your relationship with one another and urge the other person to continue to grow in their relationship with Christ. And if you do that, you will not be disappointed with the results. And if God is to call you guys apart from one another, again, I'm not thinking of anyone in this room, move away graciously and bless that person because they invested in you. And if this is going to be the marriage that lasts for the rest of your life, as again, marriage is a lifelong commitment, realize what you're signing up for. It is beautiful, but it is wild. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like to listen to more messages like this, you can find us on Spotify and iTunes by searching for Thousand Hills Podcast. Thank you for listening to and supporting this ministry of Thousand Hills Church.